everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reading Party Podcast with Megan and Lexi. This episode continues our season looking at modern retellings of the Iliad and the Odyssey, ancient epics known for both brutal violence and instances of sexual assault. This episode is not suitable for under-18s. We hope you have your favourite beverage and snack ready to go, because we've got our teas and are ready to start spilling the tea on our latest ancient story. A quick word before the show starts and an apology from me. When we recorded this, I had my 18-month-old daughter sitting on my lap. And she's adorable, but she doesn't quite understand that you're not supposed to shout loudly during podcasts or make baby noises. I've edited out as much as I can, and it's okay to listen to. You're not going to suddenly get deafened. But there is a little bit of um, a contribution there from her. So I'm sorry. Please bear with us. This won't be happening regularly. So we're talking about Troy Fall of a Sissy, which is a Netflix TV series. Oh my god. It's amazing, right? So I've watched I was fant- I can't believe I didn't watch it earlier. I've watched the first two episodes and it's like so good. It's really good. Oh gosh, so good. <sighs> I know. Where do you want to start? Um, let's just dive right into it, which is the the tone, right? Is so completely different from the movie. It really is. So it's 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 really interesting watching them both back to back because the atmosphere is completely different. Clearly the movie is like this big spectacular one shot thing and there's like Brad Pitt doing all the heroic stuff. It's a shame this is a podcast because my hands are doing some fascinating things right now. <laughs> um, but it's got like Brad Pitt doing his heroic thing and then kind of being a dick and it's it's lovely and exciting and kind of nonstop adventure. And then you have like this kind of atmospheric a little creepy to begin I mean it's creepy to begin with and then it like the tension kind of just stays as you go and kind of slowly slowly builds through the first like the first two episodes and it oh it's so good so good I know I know I was I I almost wish I'd recorded my reactions again because I haven't I I watched it when it first came out and then I feel like I went back to certain episodes here and there but I haven't like sat down in at least two three years and I was like Mm -hmm. oh my god I forgot this and I forgot this and um yeah tonally it's just it's so different I mean there's some similarities but um I I I think like I definitely like it immediately better than the movie but i do still maintain that i wish like the cast is great Mm -hmm. um but i kind of wish that some of the people who were casted in the movie were in the show also yeah that would have been good priam i watched him so when he first appeared and this is like halfway through the first episode so i'm jumping ahead mightily but when he first appeared i was like huh is that Mm -hmm. and now i cannot remember his name and i'm going to shoot myself because it's an actor Mm. i know really really well it's the scottish guy who played james bond uh i'm googling scottish james bond sean connery there we go because when when you first see him it's from a distance and he's got the facial hair thing going i was like is that sean connery like no way that it's not sean connery even a little bit but it that was well because they make it so like 
I mean, the, the the makeup and the costume. I mean, it's like incredible because I don't recognize like half of these actors. I, I think that I, I think I looked it up or I knew it once, but I think it's hilarious how um, they have Diane Kruger playing Helen in the movie. And I'm like, OK, she's a German actress. The actress who plays um, Helen in this one, I think she's also a German actress. And I was like, is there something about just like, casting German actors to play Helen? I'm like, I don't really. Um, but I mean, you know, it's so interesting how not only are they, the, the, is the tone different, but like the actors themselves casted are like different as can be. Like in the first one, you have this sort of vanilla, blonde, blue-eyed or whatever she is. And then this one, you have Helen, like dark hair, dark eyes. Mediterranean looking fantastic. No, it was very good. And it, again, watching them back to back, like if anyone is listening to this, I would recommend doing that. Just watch the movie and then go and watch even just the first episode of the series because it's really interesting and I think it picks up, helps my brain pick up things that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of. My overriding sense of the movie is this like bright, boldly lit piece of cinematography. Golds and, and bright colours and then the, the TV show is very like, subtle and it's... Um, the colors are much more muted, still beautiful costumes, still fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, much more intricate, actually, I feel like the costuming in, in the TV show. But it's it's more muted. There's like it opens in Paris is off on the plains with his his cattle and it's misty. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was really, really interesting. And the two things so I, I feel like the two things we picked up on with the movie was lack of gods mm -hmm. and oh, my God, Paris and Helen are annoying. Mm hmm. This one, Gods, so far, I think very well done, Gods. Yeah, yeah. No, I really loved Scary, it. Scary, creepy, threatening type deities. But, but they're also kind of like, they, they, well, at least Zeus, as he's portrayed here, he's sort of this like benevolent, like, I'm just going to watch and like watch these, these people like tear themselves to pieces. And I'm, he's like, don't worry, I promise I won't interfere. I'm just going to watch, you know, and you're like, but bloodshed, but war but and he's like no no, no. Just, he's like it, it you know <laughs> it's it's gonna last a long time um it's not gonna be fast um but carry on and i'm like really? but it plays so much better like i do always get a bit worried when uh you know people say or you see that like a show is gonna have the gods in it because i'm like there's like a a, a good subtle w there's like a right way and i think there's a very wrong way to put the gods in because it can get really kitschy really fast like the xena the xena tv show which i adore and we will watch later but the gods are very it's very camp yeah so i'm just like the way they did it is they put it in and like you clearly know it's the gods but like it's not campy at all and i do mm -hmm. and you know what i what i one of the things that i that struck me the first time i watched the series and reiterated again i love the colorblind casting mhm mm it's really enjoyable from a, a viewing perspective um i love the choice of achilles um i don't think he's an actor i was familiar with beforehand but he's like he is quietly threatening mm -hmm. and he doesn't do a whole lot in the first two episodes. He like stays in his tent and then mildly threatens the Trojans in this pretend like diplomatic meeting. But I am, I'm very excited to see how, how they, they do when he kind of breaks into violence yeah mode yeah well i mean i i want to clarify for anyone listening as well that um i have seen the series before um so i do know what comes and all i'll say i'll tease for everyone here 
is that um, not only is the rest of the series amazing, but um, wait till you see Patroclus. It's um, it's it's like astonishing in like the best way possible because you're not ready for it, and then it's like that's Patroclus. Oh my god! Like you just love what, what yeah. So I I have to spend tomorrow getting ready for a trip to Indiana, which is a nine hour drive, and I have to spend Wednesday and Thursday driving. And now you have made it even more difficult because what I wanted to do before this conversation was spend tomorrow watching Troy and I can't and now you've made it even more challenging (laughs) for me to not just turn on my iPad while I'm packing and pretend to pack and and actually just watch this that sounds that's very intriguing so for anyone listening you can probably skip ahead if you really want to die to know what's going on all I'll say is it's fantastic and there is like a like a shocker that um was not really even in the original source material but i love the extra what they put in there and it's saucy um anyway so to not make anyone even more curious um one thing that also stood out is uh the movie is called troy but it's very achilles centric so it feels like they could have named the movie achilles in the trojan Mm -hmm. war um, Achilles goes to Troy. Exactly. And like, because it does feel like you follow Brad Pitt. It, it's all about him. I actually, I read a, an interview after watching the movie again. I read an interview with Brad Pitt where he said, essentially, I could not get out of the camera. Like, it, it didn't matter what I did. There was a camera, like, which was very interesting because I kind of thought, like, you're Brad Pitt. I, I feel like that's really what happens when you you go and shoot a movie and obviously this was much earlier in his career um but that was that was really interesting that it it feels like maybe he agrees that this isn't so much a movie about Troy it's about Achilles and maybe that wasn't a magnificent choice but it is interesting to hear that because I didn't know if that was like a stylistic choice or if I don't even know what it was all I know is it was um like like i guess it works for the movie so even if that wasn't its intent like it still works just fine and it's entertaining but i do like how i mean the only difference between the the titles really is one is troy and one is troy fall of a city um but they both imply it's about the larger picture and i really love how this one really captures like the larger picture um like and they added back so many characters that were missing which i loved and um I think one of the things also that really stood out to me as well was that I think in the last episode or one, you know, when we were talking about the, the lack of Iphigenia, um, she's here and, you know, she, the actress looked pretty young, but she was probably aged up even, even so, but cause we said, we were saying, right. That like child sacrifice does not play well with audiences, um, and so I found it interesting that they brought that back and graphically showed it happening. Was not ready for that. The, mind you, the, the whole that whole sequence was heartbreaking. Clytemnestra is was fantastic. Yeah. No, it was brutal. Absolutely fantastic. But you know, they make a much better job of humanizing Agamemnon in this one, which I did kind of appreciate because you know it's fun to hate him in, in in the movie version. But I'm kind of like I know he's not as black and white as this. Like he he. He probably didn't just, you know, kill her in a cold-blooded way and then just move on. Um, This might humanize him too much in some people's eyes because he's still kind of an asshole. But, like, I appreciated not just being like, okay, here's the person we hate and hate and hate. Let's give him another hateful thing to do. No, uh, so the first two episodes, it starts with Paris in the hills doing his thing. 
and then it runs through like the first attack on Troy. And what you said about them being able to bring in a lot more source material is so true. And I think one of the reasons why I'm enjoying the TV show so much because they've got that time and because each episode is an hour long, which is, I mean, even though the movie Troy is nearly three hours, even I feel in the two hours that I've watched of the TV show, they've managed to put in a lot more um, like more intricacies, more nuance to the plot. You've got much more backstory for like all of the characters. Like you know how Odysseus came to be here. You know how he tried to kind of trick his way out of coming. You get a flavor for his relationship with Penelope. You see much more of, of Menelaus and Helen together. And I feel like um, they spent a good amount of time actually developing a relationship between Helen and Paris. And especially with Helen, it's it's still an awful decision on her part, but it, it when you think about the war and the cost of human life, but you understand, I think, more. They've given her more of a motive for leaving. Like, she's miserable. This was an arranged marriage. She never wanted it. She says it, he's not someone I would have chosen ever. She has this daughter. Like, I loved that they were considering marrying her daughter, um, Hermione, to Paris. I was like, oh, oh, that's, that's a dynamic right there. And Hermione is clearly unimpressed with her mother in general, and even more unimpressed that her intended fiance apparently is obsessed with her mom. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can... I, I do see where you might be a little bit upset with that particular situation. But they make Helen much more um, much more sympathetic and give her a whole lot more agency. I do love that. Like, yeah, it's great. She's not snuck off. Not forcibly. She's not coerced. Like, Paris asks her to come. She says no and tells him to go. And then the next day, hides herself in a chest and kind of is transported aboard and he doesn't even know until they're halfway across the ocean and, and he opens it up but i liked that and i i'm not i still don't like paris very much and to be fair given the source material i i don't think there's a lot you can do with paris to make him that likable the whole thing is is a god plot and i again in the tv series they make that very very clear but also eh, he's just He's just kind of a dick, really. But I know I do. Well, they gave they gave both of them more agency, I think, because um, they they gave Helen like a billion chances to try to like say no at first, which she did successfully for a while. And like then um, in in episode one, um, Menelaus and Agamemnon's father apparently in Crete. I'm like I don't know where that came from, <laughs> um, but okay, his father in Crete. So so like he dies, and so Menelaus is like all sad and dreary, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna go to Crete for five days. I'm like, also, it would take so long to sail from the mainland to Crete in ancient times and i'm like in a little trireme that's not that, i was like it'll take you like four days to sail down so that was a little unrealistic but i'm like okay fine five days suspended reality of travel time but they had a helen surprisingly be like i'll go with you to mourn your father and he's like no 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 we have a guest we cannot we he's like it's like she's she's like super trying hard with this marriage and you get the feeling that she has spent her entire life 
doing what she's supposed to and trying and like being the good queen. Yeah, like like they make her, I don't know, it's just maybe maybe then they didn't have enough time in the movie because it's a movie, but like she you know, in in the movie you're like um it doesn't seem like she cares about anyone and she just kind of walks around not caring or saying anything until she's like Paris, okay, mm-hmm. take me with you. Bye. But this one it's like no, she's trying to be a queen. She has a daughter, she has servants, she has that like druggy cult thing where she goes and like drugs yeah that was it that was very interesting i was like oh casual nudity and drugs again not expecting this kind of adds to like the atmosphere and then when paris says afterwards essentially oh you must be happy staying here drugged to a stupor like and you kind of get the feeling that it's this escapism thing because she's genuinely unhappy with her life um but no not expecting very much like it, it added, I think, a lot to the atmosphere. It was good. It did, and 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 yeah, and then I even I really appreciated, um, even even more than anything, um, I loved the whole. Um, I mean, it's one thing to sort of give her agency to reject Paris like a billion times when he when she he's like there begging her, um, but then to when when she arrives in Troy. And they're like, you know, deciding what to do with her. And then she like, like comes into the room. She's like, Priam said, no, I said, I will see you later. And she's like, bitch, you will see me now. Yeah. So she just like, she, she just like flounces into the room, announces herself and is like, I know you're deciding my fate right now, but I need to be heard. And you're like, oh, honey, what? And then, and then she's all, she gives this great speech about, I was a ghost. No, I did my duty. I was married off. I didn't choose it. And and I'm here because I want to be. I have rights. I'm not a possession. I'm a woman. And I was like, oh, this is brilliant. They really did give her agency. And I think it was really well written. And I do. I like her so much better in the show. I mean, yes, again, still do not agree with her decision. I'm still just like, she left and she was clearly torn. Um, But it seemed like she was more torn about just like upsetting I, I don't know it to me it's she mentions her daughter like once and then kind of is not torn up about it so i was kind of just like oh okay so you're more upset about what like just leaving your your duty as queen than like your child um so that was quite interesting um but yeah no no much more agency and like i don't know more likable she didn't feel like a 15 year old star-crossed lover it was a i'm a grown woman I've done what I'm supposed to do my entire life and I am miserable. So for once, I am going to take a chance and do something for me. And it backfires spectacularly, obviously, but it's, um, I know it feels more believable. Yeah, no, it definitely does. I mean, there's a lot of things that just, um, they, they've made it and they've built it up and they really do their, their, their homework on, on, you know, setting things up. So nothing really feels kind of like very sudden the way it did in the movie where you're like, suddenly this happened. And then you're like, oh, I guess this happened too. Um, yeah, no. And, and I love that they included some of Paris's back. So they included the contest with the, uh, golden apple, which I was like, I'd forgotten that they actually had put that in. I, I, I remembered vaguely that they'd like alluded to it, but I forgot that you actually get the whole scene. Um, and I love the, the, the relationships between the goddesses cause they are like, um, they are n- not friends. No, let's just say that not friends at all. No. And then Hera like is later in the second episode, right at the end of the second episode, Hera says to Zeus, essentially Aphrodite cheated because she offers Paris flesh and Zeus is like, and you wouldn't have done that because such things are above you. And it was 
it was a nice subtle take <laughs> all of them were cheating they were offering him different things yeah. she just happened to pick the one thing that he actually wanted um and and i appreciate actually that they didn't just continue calling him paris through the whole thing like they set it up as he was paris but then they were like no he's prince alexander and then they continue to use alexander um and that is a direction i think a lot of people would be a little taken aback by because they're so used to knowing him as Paris and usually every depiction is Paris. Um, but this is a change I, I really like. Um, I don't know if it's because I just associate hearing the, the name Paris with like terrible things, <laughs> but it's a little better that it's like Prince Alexander and you're like, uh-huh. It, it's, it plays better generally. I do like this actor um, a lot as well, but I think, I don't know. So I go back and forth on, he, he's still adequately like a, enough of a douchebag who just kind of like sleeps around and drinks a lot. And then just like, you know, he's a frat boy. Yeah. He's a frat You're boy in a toga. Well, not a toga, but you know. Oh my, no, my, um, my, my gay friend, he calls them, he, he, he would call him a, uh, basic straight, which I love. He is. That's amazing. Right. So I was like, so Paris is your basic straight. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I don't know, like, it's, well, well, he's so intricately tied also to, they included Cassandra, guys, they have her, and I love what they did with her. Oh, I was so happy when she popped up. I, like, so I did, when I was in high school, I did a couple of um, classes on Greek tragedy, and loved it, and really haven't looked at any of them since, and... Like having Clytemnestra, having Cassandra there on screen, being, I think, pretty true to what you would expect from those tragedies. It was beautiful. And you're right, the way they did Cassandra is very, very well done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I totally, totally agree. I mean, it's quite exciting. I mean, I also, I mean, I remembered the Iphigenia sacrifice. I did not remember uh, Clytemnestra really being there so i did really appreciate that as well um because then it, it makes it easy to just like have a face and a, an emotion and then you can kind of see why you're like oh yeah no, no wonder she's gonna go kill this douchebag who like killed her daughter but like even that though i still had a problem because he was so aggrieved and um i guess i i, I wasn't expecting agamemnon to be like no we need to find another way because i don't want to yeah. kill my daughter you know um, he played that with a, a lot of emotion. It felt mm. very raw and very real, and it was a like an act of desperation that he he clearly didn't feel like he had any way out of it. Yeah, yeah, and that's so humanizing. Like I almost feel bad that he's gonna get killed now over the sacrifice because I know what happens in Clytemnestra, but I'm also just like, oh, but he clearly like watching the way he was playing it and you're like no he really 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 did not want her to die so then i'm like oh i feel bad that if he gets killed and like he was so aggrieved he just um you know so i was like oh and it's really poignant as well at the end of the second episode they they fight troy and agamemnon says before they attack this will take one day essentially we'll be there will attack, it'll take one day, and then we can all go home again. And Odysseus says, how do you know that? And Agamemnon says, the blood of my daughter guaranteed it. And because we all know what happens, it was just, oh, a tragic statement of the entire episode. And then after the day of, of bloodshed, and I felt like they filmed or they, they portrayed the battle in a 
a suitably like chaotic like scary way with the the troy the movie it was all clearly choreographed and again bright sunshine armor glinting in the sunlight and it it looked impressive this was like smoke and blood and people getting stabbed in the head with a lance which was again interesting and like not necessarily uh what i had planned uh or what i had expected um and they've got like this horrible day of battle people dying people screaming and then agamemnon says to odysseus right at the end why did i sacrifice my daughter what was the point and it echoes in in the first episode after he sacrifices her he stands at the top of the mountain just screaming why for like several frames it's really it, it gets you and that question is echoed again at the end of the second episode why why did i do this and odysseus looked to him and said it was demanded of you the gods didn't actually promise anything in return they they said there would be a good wind and there was a good wind mm-hmm. and now we're kind of on our own again and it was yeah yeah no i love how that also highlights like the duplicity because i think when people start to assume like when you do include the gods they're kind of like okay so they'll determine the outcome they'll promise you this they'll do that blah 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 but you're also like yeah but it's still kind of a a game it's like it's like a it's like tossing the dice you know where you're like okay well I'm asking for one specific thing and they'll say yes, but then they could cause a lot of other things to happen. Um, and it never really lets you settle into being like thinking, you know, oh, the gods are good. They're helpful. They're not. They're fucking assholes. Like they do one nice thing for you and then you're like, oh, this is great. But then I think, you know, that really serves to shock you into like, yeah, well, they did one nice thing, but like that's the one nice thing you might get and then you might not get anything else. You're back to square one again. Yeah. Um, but and and I another thing I loved about the the battle sequence they had in episode two, um, it helps introduce you to some of the, the the main figures within the battle. Based on they have this beautiful scene where you have each goddess essentially saying which heroes they bless. So it's this great sequence of you know Odysseus like the cunning I bless you you know from Athena and then you have Hera blessing her you know Ajax and um you have Aphrodite on her side you know blessing her heroes and um it's a great way not only to sort of show their influence but also I felt like introduce people who may be or may not be uh familiar with a lot of the really famous heroes from from the poem um you know you just didn't get that in the movie you just kind of got who was who based on who said something who you remembered and yeah and who had a bigger speaking role um and i i enjoyed that as well um i it just for me carried on the way i think the very appropriate way that they're dealing with the gods and with the divine in the series because as this happens the goddesses are walking through the battlefield and clearly no one can see them but they are there and they are obviously having an impact and an influence um which is kind of flipped from how it was with the golden apple thing because paris could see them all um and like was like hang on goddesses this is interesting um so obviously he could see them and then they can't be seen in the battle scene and it was very i don't know it, it gives you a good tangible example of their power 
and influence, but also how they're acting kind of behind the scenes. Because no one else knows that Helen has been given to Paris by Aphrodite. He's just stealing someone else's wife. Um, so, yeah, it was... I, I'm enjoying how they're doing that. Yeah, yeah. No, I am too. And I, and and finally, I guess, you know, it's a very small thing to people, who, especially if they're not classicists, but um, I just, I really enjoy the Nestor in this version um, because he's still wise. He's still older, but he's clearly a king, a leader on his own. Um, yeah, he's just, he's doing, he's not just some like advisor who kind of like follows Agamemnon. Or, and it's, it's actually quite striking that, um, Agamemnon does not take center stage the way he does in the movie. Um, mm. In episode, he's almost an ancillary character. Yeah, because in episode two, they have um, like once they get to Troy when they first arrive, they have this sort of um, parlay, if you will. And I found it really an interesting choice to have obviously Menelaus. You would assume he would be there, but then to have just Odysseus and Achilles, and Achilles is not doing anything. Yeah, and Achilles hasn't even had that... He hasn't had any screen time. I think this is the second time we see him. The first time we see him, he just walks out of his tent. The second time, he's just randomly in this... Um, in the Trojan like gathering, like court, maybe. Let's say court. And you're right, no Agamemnon. I feel like it's a nice foreshadowing of the role he will play and familiarizes maybe the audience with this is someone I have to watch out for because Odysseus has had a lot of um, time leading up to it. You know his backstory, you know kind of what kind of a person he is. Menelaus, obviously, you know really well. And Achilles, you don't know well yet, but you've had enough hints throughout the first two episodes that this is someone you should be familiar with and you need to watch what he does. And he's actually in the battle. He's the person who takes a spear and throws it at a running Trojan soldier, manages to spear right through the back of the head and it kind of comes out through his mouth. Very graphic. I can't watch this with my husband as an aside because he's very gore averse and this would not be not be a good thing for him at all. But again, that is just this one little thing that Achilles does and you think, huh, mm. that's obviously technically difficult to do. And the fact that they're picking it out out of an entire battlefield Clearly, this is someone I need to be familiar with. It's interesting as well, um, some of the other dynamics that they do. You have Hector there, which I want to say, I'm very familiar with the actor who plays Hector. I've seen him in other series, and I really like him. And I think it's a really interesting choice to have him in here, because he's still Hector in the way uh, we imagine him. But he, but he's also different. Like, you know, if you were to compare him and his performance and his portrayal with Eric Bana, he doesn't like Paris. No, and I, that was a really interesting, um, interesting thing about again watching these two adaptations so close together. H Hector and Paris do not like each other. Hector nearly like kills Paris uh, in the opening when he first comes to Troy, and then he's clearly pissed when Helen comes to visit, and he doesn't he doesn't want war. He can see this going horribly badly. And Andromache also, another fantastic character. I, I think she, the actress, brought an awful lot of personality to what has so far been quite a minor role. But neither of them want Helen there at all. They're furious. And Hector is having to go out and fight for Paris, who is not allowed to himself fight. His parents won't let him go out. And you can kind of feel the resentment there, which is, I think is great because the... Um, the movie one, 
it's it's very much the relationship is very much one of I think protection and oh he's my brother he did a stupid thing and I'm just gonna have to clean up his mess blah 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 it doesn't seem in keeping with the magnitude of what's happening and the relationship here wasn't great to begin with and you really get a sense of Hector being just furious why are we having to deal with this ridiculousness over some shepherd and a queen essentially yeah well and and then they left in the other sons of priam which i thought was a, a really cool choice as well because i think people do kind of um forget that they're not the only ones um didn't priam and hecuba have like 19 children or something yeah they have a lot maybe i'm wrong but i feel like i read something that was like they had the 12 children of Priam. 12. But, okay. uh, you know. That's a bit more reasonable than 19. <laughs> but still, a lot of kids. And I guess maybe not that weird for the ancient world, and especially if you've got like royal family stuff going on. You need a lot of sons to, to make sure one of them's alive by the time they hit adulthood. Um, I guess, um, wait, what was it? Oh, my gosh. I'm probably forgetting, like, one of the... I'm remembering like half the scene because I watched it uh, last night and I was kind of tired. But um, during the very violent battle scene, they they basically intercut, so they have a few like like shots of battle, and then it goes to this very graphic sex scene between like like you know Paris and Helen, and you're like, oh, this is like really okay this is like intense it is clearly not a tv show for a pg-13 crowd no and that's the other thing the movie like it had to be audience friendly for younger kids so they didn't have a lot of graph too graphic at least sex and um you know some of the battle i suppose yes was was but i feel like they cut a lot of it It was relatively sanitized there's been we're, again two episodes in there has been a substantial amount of sex and blood and not toned down in either case but the cho you're right the choice to intercut the battle scene with helen and and paris having sex i think was quite clever mm -hmm. and continually reminds the audience this is happening because this is happening this series obviously is going to expand and introduce uh so many more people because obviously the 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 cast from the source material is huge um but i love how how many people we got introduced to like i love how they included aeneas and he's not just some random dude at the very end like fleeing the city he's like a leader they're like oh the leader of the dardanelles is here and they're like it's aeneas and he's part of the war council and blah 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 i'm very impressed with what they did because they have such a large cast of people that they have to introduce and they managed to make it memorable enough that you kind of remember who is there and like when they're introduced you're like oh okay that and then the um the costumes in the series um while there are still some like oriental kind of influences it doesn't feel quite as separate and exotic to me i guess yeah i there's there's more i think maybe because the colors are more muted the blue in the troy the troy film was very bright and like quite jarring against the mostly browns, blacks of the, the Greeks costuming. So I, I think having muted colors has helped an awful lot. Helen seems to be, even when she was in Sparta, costumed in a much more ornate, elaborate fashion than any other woman, which, you know, makes sense because she's, she's Helen. She's the most beautiful woman in the whole of world. And she, she has the face that launches a thousand ships. So obviously you're gonna do something with her costume. 
but it was it was different enough to be distinct the the trojans costuming but not so different that it feels out of place but i had to laugh because i'm like <laughs> like in one of the scenes she came in and i was just like so many feathers like her very first entrance she's wearing like a a, a choker of feathers that extends her in like up her entire throat which looks i mean just uncomfortable that that did look out of place i was asking myself why on earth is this woman helen because it took away so much from like her physical beauty it was i just remember it being quite extravagant and i just kept thinking to myself there's there's like what <laughs> like there's no way that was mainly also for like most of her wardrobe when she's still in sparta and i'm like is that because she's the queen and she maybe is it like she's so miserable kind of in like a loveless marriage although she tries though so i can't really call it love i mean she says she doesn't love him but i'm also like yeah but you see her early interactions with menelaus and menelaus clearly has a great deal of affection for her honestly having spoken about how realistic it was that didn't strike me as an unhappy marriage and she didn't seem i don't know miserable and it again people act how they're supposed to act and she's supposed to be a happy queen so she's a happy queen but it, it seemed until she said I've, I've never been happy here it, it, it i didn't see much of reason for her leaving um and i think that was one of maybe one of the things that makes her a more sympathetic character because when paris first like starts his flirting thing she's like what are you doing stop it you're here to marry my daughter i'm fine go away um it wasn't a instantly jump into bed with you type thing. And when they do have sex, it's right as he's tried to leave the city already. So it felt more like a last ditch. I'm just going to say goodbye to this person that I've developed feelings for. Maybe we're not going to see each other again until my daughter's wedding to him. So... <laughs> we'll have sex he'll go and it'll be it'll be fine and this is not going to be a problem because he's leaving yeah yeah no because it was especially well <laughs> she sneaks out to like her little cabin thing in the woods i was like where is this also decorated with feathers like, there's a lot of feathers in this row and then Hera later has a like a peacock feather cape which was pretty cool i was like that's subtle i like it yeah but no it's it's very funny um yeah because he like sneaks out there and um i love the dialogue that they have between the two of them because suddenly i somebody was like i'm mad for you and it's like well but how did but but yeah i was just, i was a bit confused i was like but how did i don't know i don't she seemed like she was supposed to be kind of a good pious wife definitely and and I find it really interesting how when Menelaus sees her again in Troy in episode two, like the first thing he asks, because clearly it, you know, when you watch the movie, Menelaus like storms into the room and he's like, where is she? What's going on? I, I want her back so I can kill her myself. Yeah. And he's all and he's yeah. And he's all just like, you know, like, like implying that. Um, like the minute that um, he's that the the fisherman or whatever was like, I saw her leaving with the Trojans, and he, then he was like, "Okay, get my captain. We're going, you know, to see my brother." Um, so in the movie, that was very much like he blamed her immediately for 
going. He assumed that, that she willingly left. And in this one, he doesn't because when he sees her, the first thing he's like asking her genuinely concerned is like, are you okay? Are they treating you well? Like, did he steal you away? Are, are you here against your will? Do I, am, am I here to, to be saving you? And then, and then when she so calmly just, I, I thought it was very powerful that like, the first thing out of her mouth really was just um like this sort of very blunt, I fell in love. No, I'm here willingly. And I'm sorry, I didn't love you, which I felt so bad for him because like his, his poor shocked face at the I don't understand. What do you mean you don't love me? Clearly, he's like, well, we've had a daughter and, you know, you were being a, a, a dutiful, loving wife before. And he, he says, what did I do to deserve this? Or words to that effect. And she said mm -hmm. nothing. I, I liked it on, on two levels. I liked it because it, he's not a bad person. No, nowhere in this does he come off as as a bad person. He he's a he's a king. He's a product of his his time. He clearly loves his wife. Is providing for his daughter and like doing all of the things that his society tells him he's supposed to do. But it's she's still miserable. So he didn't do anything wrong on the mortal sense. But then also you think about the fact that this is all prompted. This is all prompted by some bizarre contest of the gods. He hasn't done anything to offend the gods either. He's done his thing. He's probably done, given his sacrifices and, and been a pious Spartan ruler. And yet he's still, still losing, essentially. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it also, it, it's great because it shows how powerless all these people are to the whims of the gods and their their games, you know. It's it's almost tragic. I mean, when I watch the movie, I it, it it's kind of one-dimensional because there's no gods and then it, it, it takes away from a lot. And so then I'm kind of like, okay, okay. But no, this one, I'm like, I actually feel bad um, for everyone involved. There's no one in here that I think, you know, you probably deserve this. Sure, they have flaws, they're characters, they're well-rounded characters, but none of them are the bad guy. The god I mean, the gods are the bad guys, but none of the humans really deserve anything that's happening to them. And I think I, I, I like that better. Although sometimes I think, is this humanizing it, like, too much? Sometimes I read the original source material and I'm like, well, okay, I feel this way about a, a person for like a certain reason. I mean, that said, you know, we're, t we're here mentioning how, you know, we kind of feel bad for Agamemnon for once. We don't just hate his guts as like a really shitty dude, which usually he is. But that said, it's like, you know, we haven't gotten to the whole Briseis thing. We haven't seen how he treats Achilles. We don't know. I mean, they're doing such a job. I mean, they include things that they don't have to, like um, during the, the parlay, I found it really striking that when Prime is like, can we just offer you the gold and for you to go home, we'll compensate you. And then I found it a really interesting choice for Odysseus to be like, no, because the great king sacrificed his daughter to be here. Oh, and he did it with his own hand. And then you see their faces, you see Prime, look at Hecuba and just like, you know, between them, like, the, oh my God, he killed his own child. Like, like there could be no worse feeling. And then, shockingly, when they're like, Helen is yours, you know, you're not expecting that. You're just like, wait, what? Especially because they'd had that conversation previously, and she'd be like, I don't want to go. I'm a woman. I'm not a possession. I choose to stay here. I am happy here. And they're like, okay, you can stay. You, 
like tell everyone we'll treat you as like a beloved guest and friend and then okay you can take her yeah i also just found it really interesting that like they made the greeks willing to tell the trojans what it took for them to be here and i found it also interesting how in the movie they're like oh okay well agamemnon needs no excuse he's kind of a warmonger and of course he wants to conquer the city anyway which he still kind of does at this point he still wants it especially after sacrificing his own daughter for it but at the same time like it's done in a way where it doesn't feel like that's his only aim you know they they made it feel like no he didn't want to be here he didn't want to do this but because he had to this is why he wants your city and so when they like present the demands you know they're kind of just like he did it because he already sacrificed a lot i'm sure you can understand how horrible this is and i thought that was a really interesting choice that they made it was good and i i think I think you're right. I think the sacrifice of Iphigenia. I feel like if if Agamemnon hadn't sacrificed her and they they'd gone, and Priam had said you can take Helen, the Agamemnon we have and the rest of the kings that we have in this series would have said, okay, ciao, we'll see you later. But because of Iphigenia, it's not really enough anymore. No, I I think the whole thing is is quite well done quite quite well done i'm looking forward to to rewatching because i haven't seen it in for so long and i uh i really like the the darker tone of this and the costumes to me the costumes are much more accurate um you know they talk about hector's horse hair how in his long flowing but well that's the only thing they got wrong he has like long hair and then hector apparently has like a buzz cut or almost one i was like what happened to his hair i think that was probably like a this man is a soldier we need him to look like a soldier and in modern world soldiers have like no hair but it was a little jarring especially with paris being you think so she thinks it was jarring too especially with paris being this kind of dandy with long curly locks actually come to think of it none of them have long hair and they all would have had long hair wow that's weird odysseus probably has the longest and his isn't very long. It's not even shoulder length. Also, did you find it quite interesting to have to show this dynamic with Penelope and mm -hmm. Telemachus? Like, it's not long. You know, they, they don't go into the whole story of Odysseus, but, but they show them. It makes me wonder if they were planning on doing an Odyssey at some point. I hope so. I... I like the actor. He seems calm. He kind of has has this, uh, you know, silvery tongue. He sort of whispers his lines in this very dramatic sort of, you know, like like scarred whisper. My king. It it works for him. Although I keep, is it terrible of me if every time I see him I still kind of think, oh, yeah, but I wish you were Sean Bean in this. No, it's not terrible. I think that's reasonable. I do recognize him though. Was he in? Was he in Sparta? Or 300 if he was i didn't recognize him they use a lot of famous people i know menelaus as well yeah can't remember where from but i know him yeah i felt like that for a lot of the people who were present in the series where i'm like oh i know you from from something i don't remember where mm. but like i've definitely seen you the actress who plays andromache I've seen her in things, but I'm like, I don't remember what I've seen her in, but I've seen her. I don't know. So I guess because it's so uh, tonally different from the movie, you know, like what's something you're really excited to 
or curious to see uh, you know, in, in some of the upcoming episodes that now we know they have gods, they have, you know, more characters to so like, you know, is there like a certain person or whatever that you're interested in seeing? Based on what they've done with Helen and Andromache, I am interested to see what happens with Briseis, what kind of a character she is. Um, I was interested to see what happens with Patroclus and Achilles before you told me that it's super cool. So my interest is even more peaked than it was previously. I think those are the two big ones for me. How about you? I know you've seen it before, but maybe going forward, what is something that we should be looking out for? Yeah, also it's been a really long time. So I would say this is kind of a spoiler, but kind of not because it doesn't spoil anything really. But but um, Penthesilea actually is in the series. And... Um, I rem I don't remember a lot, but I do remember that the actress they they had playing her gave a really interesting um, portrayal, and she looked the way she was presented was a lot different than I thought she would be. Um, and so I yeah I can't remember a lot about it, but I'm I'm excited to see Penthesilea and and how she's uh and and the Amazons are basically introduced. Yeah, I don't know. It it opens up a lot. Achilles gets an actual interaction with with Helen. It's actually it reminded me a lot um when I was remembering it of uh Wrath Goddess Sing. So we get this, you know, be, we we got the 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 beautiful scene where um, you know, uh, Achilles tries to sneak in and 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 just take Helen and and try to and end the war. But um we get a very similar thing where Achilles kind of like tries to find her and their interaction I remember was kind of uh really interesting and not what I was expecting so I'm really excited for that as well that does sound interesting yeah yeah I don't know it's it's so funny because it's like there's so much because it's such an expanded universe that I'm like wait wait there's there's a lot actually I am I am really enjoying the level of detail and obviously that's that's a, a bonus right of making something a TV show rather than a movie you get all of this extra time to expand on interesting things I'm really enjoying just the sheer level of detail I think we're going to wrap up here but we will be back next week looking at the next couple of episodes of Troy Fall of a City so I hope you can join us then and if you haven't watched it yet I highly recommend going and starting the series it's really great TV Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at The Reading Party Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a book or movie suggestion, then email us at thereadingpartypod at gmail.com. See you next week. Mm -hmm.